the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black. And your money. Using my soapbox to try to get you to retirement. Using my soapbox to try to get you some honest information about investing. Um, anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about today. So don't be shy. I think that's the, the number one rule. Uh, if you want me to change my show and talk more strategy, that's great. If you want less news or more news, that's fantastic. I don't give out market numbers all the time. I find that, well, you probably have a phone that can do that. And I don't think you really want to be overly focused on numbers in the long term. So just my opinion. Some things that are out there today that we can talk about. Um, Rovio's Angry Birds has come out. Angry Birds 2. It's got 10 million downloads. But it's pissing people off with the in-game purchases. Basically, if you run through like 30 birds, I, I don't have it, but you have to wait 30 minutes to get more birds. Or... You have to pay money. And a lot of people are not happy with that. Rovio is publicly traded. Just throwing it out there for you. This could be the end of them if, you know, your kid starts coming up at you, Mom, I want to play Angry Birds. And suddenly you're getting a bill for, you know, 20, 30 bucks. You're like, hey, hey, I thought I paid a buck 99 for it. So they're going to have to tinker with that because that's really bad press and it's publicly traded. Greek stocks suffered a second day of losses as the banks plunge again. Bank stocks plunge again. It's never good. Whatever you think of banks, and you may hate them. I hate my bank. I find that their service is horrible. But they hold my money for me. And sometimes when I need a loan, they give me a loan. So I don't really hate them in the long run. Greek stock markets. Um, you don't want to see bank stocks do terribly, terribly bad. No matter what you think, you don't. Apple stock is slumping big now, down another four bucks today, down to $113, 52-week high is oh, 134. 
I think that's worthy of note. So what's up with Apple? Um, there's a lot to talk about. You know, yesterday there was a presentation by Carter Worth of Cornerstone Macro saying the stock had fallen below a key technical stock level. So people would see that. There was a report yesterday that Canalis in Xiaomi has have retaken the top spot in Chinese smartphone sales in the second quarter. So when you see this Chinese stock market dip, their consumers could be losing confidence. And Apple is needs China to continue having some growth with all that cash and income that they create. Um, as our analyst said uh, from briefing.com, it's, it's almost a trillion dollar company and there's not a trillion people on the planet. So they're going to have to play, you know, they're going to have to tinker and they really haven't had a hit product since the iPhone. Uh, iWatch is cute and the iPhone's gotten better and better and it's become a bigger and bigger hit. But some people are starting to say fundamentally, how are you going to get bigger if you don't get hot product? Apple Music is flawed, and they'll need to tinker with that in their new operating system coming this fall. But that's this fall. Um, a guy named Steve Milinovich, he's from UBS, uh, he noted the stock could be feeling the effect of worries in the semiconductor world. The Philadelphia Semiconductor Index is not doing well. Um, and that's a gauge for tech. Milinovich also said investors are worried about whether the 2016 iPhone sales can grow, and he thinks they, they can. 78% of Apple phones are still the five or younger, older. So there's some angles there. When Milinovich was asked what whether things might get as bad with the stock as back in September of 2012, when the shares began a precipitous decline from their lifetime high at that time, and they fell 40% before working their way back up. He says, you're not going to have six points of margin decline. You do have some more value investors than you did before. I have pretty high confidence that you have some downside support, unless the fundamentals are really different from what we think they are. There's no much, there's, uh, there's no more downside. There's not much more downside, is the way he said it. He called it no much downside. And there's also the share buybacks. Um, which some investors are mad at Apple. Why are you buying back stock when you can go out and buy Twitter? Why are you buying back stock when you can go out and buy, you know, another young company? So uh, that's worthy of note in the world of investing today. Uh, taking a look at, you know, the market. There's nothing really driving the market today as a huge story. Apple's weighing on the tech sector. Uh, the S&P 500 is testing its 100-day moving average, which is 2097. The dollar trended negative earlier today. General weakness in uh, crude stocks today. Precious metals have rallied a modest level from big overnight losses. Gold's at 1090 an ounce. Silver's at 1456 an ounce. Um, I think gold has 200 points on the downside, $200 on the downside. And then it starts becoming interesting. If you look at the dry bulk uh, shipping rates, they're up about 10%. Uh, it's 19879 dollars a day. Uh, when you're carrying grains and you're carrying ore across the ocean, you become an indicator of future economic activity. So that's one of the reasons you bring up that kind of angle. I know it's 
kind of odd, but it is what it is. Um, gas prices are low, so Americans are driving more, and that's a problem for car insurance companies. And many of us think that oil is going to stay low for six months to 18 months, minus some sort of big shock to the system. Throwing it out there for you. Adidas is taking on Nike with a massive $200 million offer for James Harden. Um, that is fascinating to me, in large part because Steph Curry got such a, a cheap deal. So Steph Curry's do you go, if you're Steph Curry, do you go to Under Armour and say, okay, this isn't funny anymore? Or do you honor your contract? So Adidas offers Harden, you know, 13-year, $200 million. Um, that's pretty crazy. The offer worth about $15.4 million per year would be the, amongst the richest shoe endorsement deals in the NBA. It's ahead of Derrick Rose's 13-year, $185 million contract with Adidas but it's behind Kevin Durant, who recently said no to Under Armour and re-signed with Nike in the deal of a neighborhood of about $30 million per year for 10 years. And LeBron James, he makes about $20 million per year on his Nike deal. So shoes are big business. Did you ever think that shoes were this kind of big business? Um, shoes are big business. And for the record, I like Nike stock. Um, I don't like it at all-time highs, but I do like Nike stock. Microsoft has laid out its top three priorities, and none of them are Windows. And that's pretty interesting because the tech guy here at Cron 4, where I work in television, I do TV in the morning, radio. I do radio from the TV station. Yesterday, he's like, how are they going to make money on this free upgrade? Well, they're trying to reinvent productivity and business processes. They're trying to build an intelligent cloud platform, and they're trying to get more personal uh, computing. None of those really say Windows as it used to. Um, so the cloud is where a lot of companies are pushing their business and hoping you store photos and music and other sources of content up there as well. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Maybe be the class clown. I'll be the beauty queen in tears. It's a new iPhone showing people out in the week, yeah. We're so happy. Close your eyes and you're gone. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing in more. I sometimes evolve my thoughts, and I think it's important that we do. Probably a couple years ago, I'd say, hey, millennials are living with mom and dad, and that's a bad thing because they need to get out and get their own financial legs underneath them. Now I'm thinking, if you want to live with mom and dad and not pay rent, psh, just start saving money and get to retirement. Um, I don't like the idea of, you know, delaying marriage and delaying passion and love when you're young, because you're only young for a while, and then even the passion starts to hurt and ache your bones. Um, but millennials are still moving back home. We thought they were leaving, but according to some new data, the percentage of millennials living with their parents increased uh, from 24% to 26% in the last five years. So they're not, it's not dwindling down yet. 
So this is despite a lower unemployment rate in the last five years. Millennials are technically 18 to 34 years old. Roughly the same number of millennials, 25 million, head their own households today since before the recession started in 2007. Data is bad news for the housing industry, which is looking to get a boost from young first-time buyers. Millennials are living at home. Um, it's become more acceptable. So with a lot of ballooning student loan debt as one of the causes, and again, I've, I've, I've got mixed emotions. I certainly think that if you're getting your financial house in order or you're getting financially ahead by doing it, great. A fifth of millennials. Now, this is a twist on the same exact story, but with a different twist. A fifth of millennials financially support their parents. That's crazy. On average, the cost is 12000 per year, and that's on top of the other costs of running a household. Not only are baby boomers helping their children, but we're learning that millennials and Generation X are financially supporting their parents to a much greater degree than ever before. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Welcome in CFP Chad Burton. Back in 1997, Kevin Smith made a movie called Chasing Amy. It was a romantic comedy. And in the world of investing, you kind of want to chase yield. You want your money working for you and yielding some profits. Let's talk about that area, Mr. Burton. Well, there's a difference between investing for income and the kind of decumulation phase versus chasing yield, which a lot of people are being forced to do. And in fact, it's kind of, that's what the Fed wants. The Fed wanted you know, interest rates to be down so that people go out and say, okay, my money's not doing anything in banks. Let's get it out there in the capital markets. Well, that pushed bond prices way up and yields way down. I mean, when we're looking at high-yield bond funds, which the real term is junk bond funds, these are companies that don't have the greatest credit, right? Mm -hmm. These are companies that, uh, you know, one big thing happens, such as a big drop in oil, they're all of a sudden defaulting on bonds. Those are high-yield bonds. Those to be only rewarded a 45 to 5.5% rate of return on them, there's something wrong there. That's, that's more risk. It's just as much risk, if not more risk, in the stock market, and people aren't getting paid necessarily to do it. Now, do they have some room to grow? Yeah, probably, because rates are still historically low. But I think a lot of people have been forced into situations where, number one, they forgot how they felt and how they reacted in 2000, 2001, and 2002, and then again in 2008 and 2009 when the market was down you know, almost 40% from its highs. So then they've gone and gotten really aggressive on the dividend-paying high-yield stocks or high-yield bonds. And they've been doing really well, but if there's a credit situation, um, if there's a jump in interest rates, then these things can drop in value anywhere from 5 to 20%. And the same thing with preferred stocks. So a lot of people load up on these things just because they have high current income and thinking, oh, it says it, because it has high current income, it must be like a bond or a CD, it must be safe. And I think people are really not aware of the risks that they've created in their portfolios. In fact, a lot of high-yield bond funds or junk bond funds now own up to 10% to 20% in stocks inside these things to keep the, the yield high. Um, so it's, it's a situation where people really have to monitor their portfolio. What's the difference between an exchange-traded note and an exchange-traded fund? Exchange-traded fund is actually holding the underlying securities. An exchange-traded note tracks the underlying securities, but it's still subject to the, to the uh, credit quality of the issuer. So, for example, uh, you know, some common ones out there are related to master limited partnerships or these you know, oil and gas uh, companies that they, they get paid a toll to have oil flow through them and things like that. And uh, they, 
there's certain ways to invest in those, but most of the time when you invest in them, you get a K1 and it's a tax nightmare. But you can go into them in terms of an exchange-traded note or an ETN and not have the K1 nightmare. Um, for example, one of them uh, is AMJ, which is J.P. Morgan's Illyrian MLP. So it invests in oil and gas master limited partnerships, but it's an ETN. So, for example, you're you're kind of investing in that and taking that risk, but you're also taking the risk of J.P. Morgan's credit quality, for example. Now, is J.P. Morgan fairly strong? Yeah, much stronger than they were in 2007, that's for sure. Um, there's also other ETNs or exchange-traded notes that have to do with um, different styles of bond investing and leveraged bond investing. And so people look at them and they think it's a normal holding, but sometimes there's leverage involved and then an additional credit quality. Now, are there some good ones out there? Yes, there are. But I think a lot of ETNs, uh, people don't understand the difference between an ETN and an ETF, and there's an extra kind of layer of credit worthiness that you have to be worried about. Anything about foreign bonds that we should know about in about one minute or less? Um, well, yeah, I mean, you got foreign bond funds, and there's some decent uh, yields that are out there. So obviously you have corporate foreign bond funds and then sovereign foreign bond funds where you're just buying the uh, you know debt of the country, almost like uh, U.S. treasuries, but from different countries around the world, whether it's Mexico or Brazil or, or whatever. And there are some higher yields available out there. Um, I wouldn't do it unless the bond fund manager has some of the ability to hedge against currency issues because the U.S. dollar has been going up. We spent some time and the dollar was going down. And, and so it really depends on the country and also the currency issues. So we've got about a third of our bond exposure in foreign bonds, but uh, the manager has the ability to deal with the currency as well as find the right investments inside of it. It's a little bit more volatile, but you do get a little bit more yield. Sounds good. That's CFP Chad Burton with lots of information about chasing yields. You can find him in articles about ideas like this at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Apple and Google are both working on what are referred to as personal assistant technologies. Um, how proactive it will be versus not be is going to be interesting. You know, Google now combs data from a universe of online services and searches. Apple's just going through and seeing what you're doing on your phone. But some of these services, personal assistant services, for instance, if you text your friend, hey, let's grab dinner tonight, it may know where your friend lives and say, okay, why don't, here's some ideas on open table. Do you want to book this? So it's going to be a, a service that's going to be really highlighted in the next wave of phones. Um, Microsoft's got Cortana. Amazon's got a virtual assistant named Alexa, who you can talk to uh, with the Echo and say, hey, Alexa, uh, I need some groceries. And you can do a grocery list that way. So you're going to see more and more personal assistant technologies in the latter half of 2015 and 2016. It'll become a big story. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial.
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Strategist with Briefing.com. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, Rob. I'm doing well. Good to be back with you. Good to have you. Uh, summer doldrums, or are you excited about the fall? Well, I'm excited about the fall because, uh, of course, that means Chicago Bears are going to be playing football again. Uh, but aside from that, uh, I am looking forward to the fall because I think, you know, hopefully we'll be at a juncture where we'll be talking about some some different things uh, as it relates okay. to the capital markets and primarily uh, the Federal Reserve. Um, you know, been stuck there wondering when the Fed is going to actually raise interest rates. Uh, and from my vantage point, I think the Fed continues to sound and, and desperately wants the market to believe that it's going to go ahead and raise rates, um, you know, in the near term here. And that could create some uh, new excitement levels for the markets uh, in the fall and into the winter. If you ever want to take a week off, it sounds like I could play your previous week's spot because we have been talking about it for a very long time. Why do you think – or – is this time different? Why are we so obsessed with the Federal Reserve? Because I've been doing this 20 years, and 20 years ago, it was an afterthought. It was not, you know, a driving component of the market. Yeah, you know, we're obsessed with the Federal Reserve because they are, uh, you know, operating in uncharted waters, basically. You know, we've had interest rates at the zero bound here for what, over uh, six years now, and uh, you haven't had an actual interest rate hike since 2006. Um, so uh, it's a really remarkable period in, in terms of Fed history, and, uh, you know, you can, of course, look at what the Fed policy has been, and you can see here how it's it's remained an undying source of support here for the equity market in particular whenever things seem to go awry. Uh, participants fully believe in the Fed put uh, remaining intact, and so they continue to buy on every dip, even when earnings results don't come in that great or when you're having some geopolitical issues uh, kick things up. Um, there's a seems to be a real strong reliance on interest rates at the zero bound uh, and the Fed basically preaching this message to go ahead and continue to buy higher-risk assets. Uh, and so that's why I think the market remains obsessed over, over the Fed. And I'll add one more point, sorry to carry on, but the, uh, the idea really is that, um, you know, the thinking that the Fed is now potentially going to raise rates for the first time at a time when the global economy is slowing and thereby inviting the potential for uh, another retrenchment in the U.S. economy if it moves prematurely. So there's a lot going on right now as it relates to the Federal Reserve policy. Do you worry that sometimes things are just out of whack and that out of whackness can bring down a market more so than it should. And let me give you an example. Apple had an amazing six-year run, and then it gets added to the Dow Jones Industrial Average 30 after this amazing run. Now they're getting kind of weak, and that's pulling the Dow down. Or it's, it, The Dow could be at a higher high if it didn't have Apple in it is kind of what I'm saying at. Do you ever worry that some of these odd external factors get out of whack to the point that it could cause more problems than they're worth? Um, yes, and you know, I can give you another example. Just looking at China, right? Things got really out of whack okay. there because of some really screwy issues that uh, basically inflated uh, you know stock values there. But 
As it relates to Apple, I mean, Apple's a, an absolutely terrific company. And, and like you said, I mean, the, the results they put up recently in the second quarter, there's nothing to really, um, uh, in my mind anyway, to be, you know, overly concerned about or, you know, that would qualify them as, as wholly disappointing in any respect. I think when it comes to Apple, um, its biggest hurdle really is this law of large numbers, essentially. You know, it's pushing, a, you know, a trillion-dollar market capitalization, which is just unbelievable. And I think, um, you know, Jeffrey Gunlock said it best a few weeks ago, is that uh, that's going to be a headwind, is that, you know, you might get something more out of Apple, but it's hard to see a whole lot more upside from, uh, you know, levels we saw in the stock, you know, a couple weeks ago, because it is pushing up against such large uh, numbers as it relates to its market capitalization. And so, Investors are finding a reason to go elsewhere uh, for the time being, and because of Apple's prominence within the Dow Jones Industrial Average, it does um, it does you know factor heavily on that particular average. We're pretty deep into earnings season tonight. We get Disney. I'm looking forward to Disney's earnings call. Stock's been on fire, a lot like Apple, mm-hmm. where you go, how much more upside can they have? And then you're like, oh yeah, they got Star Wars, and they've got all the action movies and they've got all the superheroes and they got the park and um is disney one of your to me it's a fun company to follow because it's so easily relatable to the audience uh are you looking forward to disney's earnings yeah you know and i think you know people have a right to look forward to it for for many of the reasons you just laid out and then you you can layer on top of that the idea that they have the whole uh, the new installment uh, the next star wars installment coming out in december and they're going to be opening up shanghai disneyland uh next year and so there are drivers on the horizon here that uh you know that that work to disney's advantage and you know it's a company that's just been superbly managed really um so it uh you know, it's a it's a it's a result that should make investors feel good. Um, you know, whether it makes the market feel ultimately good is hard to say. I mean, the stock's trading at about 26 times trailing 12-month earnings. Uh, it's not cheap, so it has to uh, continue to execute very very well uh, to maintain that premium multiple. So we'll see. Anything else that you're working on right now that you find interesting and want to share with the audience? Well, I'm, you know, going to be keeping a close eye, obviously, on the employment report that comes out later in the week. Um, you know, we've had a lot of incoming data of late that has um, uh, basically softened expectations for the uh, the Fed raising interest rates. But knowing that the Fed desperately wants to raise rates, I think it's going to be really clued into what goes on with that average hourly earnings number in the employment report. Uh, so I'll be watching that very closely, and um, we'll probably be orienting some commentary around that particular item. How about earnings season? Um, it looks like not. What's your report card say? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's ho hum in my estimation. I mean, you, you've seen results; they have come in better than expected. But S and P 500 operating earnings overall are still expected to decline. Uh, 0.4%. Nothing great about that, particularly when you uh, stack it up against uh, revenue that's expected to also show a decline year over year. Um, And then the guidance coming out of these second quarter reports hasn't been too stellar either. And you can see that in the fact that uh, consensus estimates for the third quarter have been revised lower since the start of the reporting period. So you know, nothing terrific. It's, it's been good enough, I suppose, given the, the wall of worry the market uh, tends to climb uh, when we see uh, the earnings reporting period unfold. But uh, I'm not overly impressed at this juncture. 
There's an interesting paper out today or recently about the San Francisco Fed talked about interest rates and how the Federal Reserve, if they do raise interest rates, could really hurt housing prices. As part of a market strategist, do you tie together strong auto sales, low gas, insurance companies are getting hit because people are driving more? Do you try to connect a lot of dots that sometimes aren't obvious, like higher interest rates should lower how much home people could afford, which should lower home prices, or is that too extraneous for purposes of conversation? Yeah, no, you know, I'm as a uh, market analyst that has a top-down orientation, um, I do have to take into account those particular factors here, and housing, uh, you know, is, you know, a, a decent sized contributor to, you know, overall GDP when you factor in this multiplier effect and the, the spending that flows out of, you know, home purchases and, and the like. And so, um, you know, uh, when rates go up, uh, we've seen in mortgage applications uh, a major slowdown in those applications, and that's with rates already at pretty historically low levels. So, um, so there's probably going to be a headwind for housing here if the Fed does raise interest rates and you see mortgage rates pick up, um, and that will impede, uh, that will look, that will weigh on prices here when um, when there's not as much demand. So, something definitely to take into account. We've seen a lot of action in the healthcare sector, probably largely due to the Affordable Care Act. Um, the sector's been on fire. It's been doing great. A lot of mergers and acquisitions also helping. Is that a sector that you favor, healthcare for the long term, or at this point in time, maybe take a little off the table? Yeah, well, I think the long term is the key phrase there. I think you have to like it over the long term when you just look at the whole demographic situation and, and the you know the retiring baby boomers and people getting older and and the need for you know pharmaceuticals and the like. Um, so yes, I do like it for the long term. But with the runs you've seen in a sector like the healthcare, you just have to be conscientious of what your, your risk parameters are. And yeah, maybe you take something off here in the near term as the uh, broader market looks a little bit uh, anxious here at these current levels. Thanks for joining us today. That's Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Strategist with Briefing.com. Always an enjoyment listening to what he has to say and kind of ramble on. And when he said, sorry for rambling, I'm like, no, 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 keep going. Uh, just a good different perspective. Uh, well-educated, well-thought-out. Uh, everything in Briefing.com has that feel to it. So whether it's their live market coverage, their live headlines, their perspective, their calendars, uh, you can quickly pull up an earnings calendar and see who's you know, coming up next and next week, you can find where your company is, like Kellogg is going to report, and maybe you go, ooh, let's see how Office Depot is doing. Tons of information at briefing.com. That's briefing.com. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Makes you screech and pulls the skin off your bones And I can't help but think As I pick my mouth off the floor Oh, you still know me in a year Yes, I get sick and feeling of being alone And it's the way it makes you screech and pulls the skin off your bones
listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Please be cautious out there with how you save for retirement. Um, I find it kind of tragic that there's people out there. I used to work with a guy at Yahoo that would come on and do financial media, and he would kind of run the camera, and it would go over the whole Internet. Uh, he's in, he works for an insurance company now, and he was like, you have, oh, my gosh, I love indexed annuities. Index life insurance and like no, um, a lot of people are going to die in debt, and a lot of people make a lot of bad choices when it comes to investment products. Regulators are investigating exaggerated claims by insurance companies, and this guy had an exaggerated claim. Index annuities are typically insurance products that are tied towards the stock market, and instead of using an indexed annuity, just use the stock market. Uh, if you want to get S&P 500 returns, buy the S&P 500. Now, keep in mind, the market's going to hit record highs 7 out of the 10 years. Historically, 70% of the time, it's, it's at record highs. Now, the insurance guy is going to say, if the market goes down, you don't lose anything. But history has shown it doesn't. The market's not going to go to zero. Will there be a 40% correction? Probably. But... A lot like Apple had a 40% correction in 2012, it came roaring back. S&P 500, the Dow, the NASDAQ have all hit record highs this year. They're not there right now, but the insurance guy will make it sound like, look how much money you've lost in Apple. It's down 13% from its all-time highs. What is it up? 700% in the last few years? Like, it, your investment lifetime should be considered part of the equation. So if you've got 20 years left to live, go take a look back at the last 20 years of the S&P 500, of you know the Russell 3000 or the Wilshire 5000, which are more diversified indexes. Uh, don't fall for people who are trying to push you into annuities. Um, you don't need an insurance policy for your whole life. Very, very few people do. You need an insurance policy to last the period of your life that your income's going to be needed to support your family. So when my grandmother died at 92, 94, uh, 94, uh, her husband had passed, like, I think at 91. Um, they had had a whole lifetime of accumulating assets, a whole lifetime of accumulating assets. And they did need insurance because they had, you know, kids that, uh, you know, when the grand, the great, grandfather when he stopped working his kids you know were old and they had families of their own and they didn't need that life insurance but up until they had families of their own and up until they were old and I typically think you want to have life insurance until your kids hit 20 maybe 21 years old and I think you want tend to want to have life insurance uh, if your partner needs your income until about 60 or 65 when in theory you would retire because of your assets Life insurance is meant to replace the income that you would have earned up until age 60, 65. It's not meant to be a, a payday. It's not meant to be a big win. It's meant to replace the income that your family needs to be supported with. And again, it stinks because these insurance guys, they're pretty stupid. They go to a, a class. Their, their bosses say, okay, we need to push this and we need to push that and we need to do this and we need to do that. And like, 
Okay. Um, they're just not that smart. And, and, you know, sadly, the people who hurt, get hurt are the people who buy the uh, variable annuities, indexed annuities. Uh, you don't need it. It's cheaper to buy the investments yourself in a low-cost uh, exchange-traded fund or index fund and get term life insurance. I've got term life insurance. CFP Chad Burton has term life insurance. Um, every financial planner that I know has term life insurance. Not one of them uses insur uh, variable annuities for the insurance aspect. You don't want it. No, no financial planner that I know has a whole life. So again, if my grandmother, if she had whole life insurance, she would have paid insurance in when she was 20, when she was 30, when she was 40, when she was 50, when she was 60. And then at that point in time, no one needed that life insurance, right? But she would have been paying it at 70, she would have been paying at 80, she would have been paying at 90. Another 30 plus years of paying for something you don't need. That's just called stupid. So be very, very cautious on that. You're listening to me, Rob Black. The show is Rob Black and Your Money. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Don't be shy. Um, I encourage interaction. You can do it via email. Rob at robblackshow.com. Rob at robblackshow.com. Um, or, you know, reaching out with a phone call during the show. Um, Apple's getting smoked right now. Um, it's down a whopping 13% from its all-time high. Um, there's no obvious reason for the stock to be dropping right now. Apple Music isn't going to hit their bottom line in any significant way. It's all about the phone. To me, I think some Chinese concerns uh, where they sell a lot of phones. So uh, the last time the stock got hit 40%, they had a stock buyback. They did not have a stock buyback in place, and they do now. So there's going to be some comfort here. Um, they also have a dividend now, which they didn't then. So has the iPhone 6 tapped out as an opportunity? I think the results are going to be a lot tougher to get growth going forward, but the value should keep it uh, some support at these levels. 27% uh, of people who own an iPhone before the iPhone 6 was released have upgraded the iPhone 6. That means 73% of iPhone users haven't. That's um, about 300 million people are due for an iPhone upgrade. So just throwing it out there. Um, hope you're well. Have a good day. Talk to you soon. I'm Rob Black. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.